Hello, and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 87. It's a bird! It's a blog! No, it's a newsletter? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We don't even know what we're doing anymore, because the implosion of Twitter... (laughs) has changed everything, uh, all these new platforms, old platforms, what are we even doing? Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just bananas out there. So I thought I would uh, assemble some thoughts on where do you put stuff now that you write online? <laughs> where do you post your posts? Yeah, so uh, before we get into all of that, uh, I do have a few comments to make on recent news. First of all, my own personal news, I bought a new iPad Pro. Yes, that's right. I have a brand new M2 12.9-inch iPad Pro. I've been very happy with my previous 2018 12.9-inch iPad Pro, uh, but with the arrival of iPad OS 16 and Stage Manager and all sorts of different things that is available to us now through software, uh, I found myself in a curious position rarely felt in the land of iPad, which is that my hardware, not my software, was holding me back. <laughs> there are all these new things in the latest hardware that... Uh, were really appealing to me, uh, things like being able to change the the density of screen real estate on the iPad display, of course, having the new uh, sort of uh, OLED-esque displays. They're not true OLED. I think it's called mini LED, but it kind of feels like an OLED display. Um, being able to use external displays, I really wanted to try that out and kick those tires. Um, being able to use a lot more memory, virtual memory, just so much stuff that uh, is in new iPad hardware, which I didn't have in my 2018 model. So it's weird, right? Because like usually the line is, you know, iPad hardware is incredible and we're just waiting for the software to catch up. We're perennially waiting for iPad OS and the ecosystem of apps out there to to somehow catch up to the hardware. And instead, I was in a place where I felt like I needed the hardware to catch up to what I wanted to do with the software that theoretically was available to me. Uh, So yeah, so I have a brand new iPad Pro. Um, I won't tell you too much about my first impressions because I'm probably going to do a longer spiel about this either in a future podcast episode or maybe a blog post. But um, I will say... Uh, The external display sort of usage of iPadOS with Stage Manager and all that uh, is a little funkier than I would have hoped. And I say that being a huge fan of Stage Manager, uh, unlike some some of the other pundits you may have heard out there. Like, I really, really like being able to use Stage Manager on the iPad directly, and it's just been a game changer for me. So I honestly was expecting to be kind of wowed by, you know, being able to take that exact experience and just replicate it on a big, large monitor. And uh, I sort of realized as I got into that, that there are certain things about Mac OS <laughs> that 
make it nice to use as a desktop operating system. And one of those things is a menu bar. I was surprised how much I missed having a menu bar on a desktop computer. <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll go into a lot more thoughts uh, down the road. But um, other, than, other than sort of the, the question mark around how I might use the iPad with an external display, uh, everything else uh, is, is quite impressive and I'm very pleased with my purchase. Uh, the funny thing is, um, right after making that purchase, uh, just this morning, uh, we get Apple's announcement of brand new M2-based MacBook Pros and Mac Minis. Uh, and interestingly enough, I actually wasn't expecting this, an M2 Pro-based Mac Mini. Yeah, so I certainly don't regret my purchase of the iPad Pro, but uh, I did not expect to so quickly be coveting <laughs> getting a new desktop Mac, too, because uh, I'm currently rocking an M1 Mac Mini. In fact, this very podcast you are listening to has been recorded using Logic Pro on an M1 Mac Mini. I love my Mac Mini. I actually really love Mac Minis in general. I have come to realize that the Mac Mini is my canonical desktop Mac. It's not an iMac, certainly not a Mac Pro these days. Uh, basically, like using a Mac to me is using a desktop Mac, and my favorite Mac is a Mac Mini. So I am a Mac Mini guy. And so having an M2 Pro Mac Mini in the lineup is very, very, very exciting and very tempting. Uh, I, it's going to be hard for me to wait until I <laughs> uh, can't stand it anymore and just have to make that purchase. So we'll see how it goes. Moving right along here, one other item of note. Uh, I have a link in the show notes to an article on The Verge where it talks about how the creation of new podcasts has apparently fallen off of a cliff. Uh, I guess there was sort of a, a, a height of podcasting interest and everyone wanting to start a podcast back in 2020 during the pandemic. No surprise there, I suppose. Um, but I think maybe there was also sort of an expectation of like, hey, I'm just going to start a podcast and a bunch of people are going to subscribe and then I'm going to be able to get sponsors and then I'm going to be able to make money. And uh, yeah, that doesn't really happen for most people. <laughs> Few podcasts get truly popular and easily monetizable. So uh, yeah, now there's just a lot less interest in starting new podcasts. And anecdotally, one thing I noticed over the past few years is a lot of folks that were finding success on YouTube tried starting podcasts to kind of bring their audience over from YouTube to podcasts. Uh, they got a few episodes in and then it kind of all fizzled out. Uh, I, I can think of a number of YouTubers whose podcasting aspirations seem to uh, fall by the wayside. So um, yeah, podcasting is really its own medium. It's its own vibe. 
Uh, I don't think people should try to start podcasts thinking they're just going to instantly make a bunch of money at it. That's not how you create a successful podcast. <laughs> I'm uh, how many episodes in here now? 87. <laughs> I'm going to have to do something fun for episode 88 because uh, we all know what 88 means in geekdom. Um, but anyways, uh, yes, I'm at 87 episodes in for Fresh Fusion. And do you think I'm making money at this? <laughs> no. <laughs> Might change in the future. But for now, uh, it's truly a labor of love. And I've come to realize that uh, I'm actually much happier when I'm creating this podcast and keeping it going than when I'm not. Because there have been some some delays or pauses, if you will, in the production of Fresh Fusion over the past few years. Uh, it started out as the Jared White Show, and then partway through it got renamed to Fresh Fusion. And I really like where this show is now. I like kind of the topical range it has. Um, and the times when I haven't been producing the show, I've come to realize I really miss it. I'm really sad when I'm not doing that. Uh, so it's worth the effort. It's definitely worth the effort. And if you, dear listener, are thinking maybe you should create a podcast, uh, I would recommend not doing it <laughs> unless you really have to do it, right? Like you have to just be absolutely in love with the idea of being a podcaster. You really have to pour your heart and soul into this medium because it's not easy to kind of feel like it's going anywhere. It's, it's very easy to just, you know, start a show, put some episodes out there, get no real feedback or sense that if anyone's really caring about it or even if the few listeners you might have are like even listening to it because maybe they're just kind of downloading it in the background because it's in their podcasting app, but they didn't even notice it anymore like you don't really know right so you have to have an immense amount of intrinsic motivation to be a consistent podcaster uh, and I've I've had to I've had to sort of grow that muscle out over the years so that's podcasting but uh, we have an interesting sort of revival going on now around blogging blogs are back I think <laughs> Maybe it's too early to tell, but anecdotally, I'm hearing so much about just people right and left wanting to start blogs, restart blogs. Blogs are the new hotness once again, uh, but do we, do we still call them blogs? Do we call them newsletters that get posted online as if it was a blog? Like, it really depends, right? Because, like, a lot of people are on Substack, for example. But is Substack a blogging platform or is it an email newsletter platform that just happens to have the blog version of newsletters show up online so you can read them? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, like, Probably 95% of all content I ever read from Substack, I read as if it's, you know, a blog, right? Like it's a link that somebody posts on, well, Mastodon now, I guess, generally. Uh, and I click on it and I read it. And to me, like, I don't care if this is on Substack. It could be on, you know, 
foobarsforyou.com. It could be on my favorite blogging platform in the whole wide world.com. Like, it doesn't matter to me in the slightest where somebody's posting this thing. It's just a link. I click on it. I read the thing. I rarely subscribe to these things. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I don't know what it is about Substack, but uh, something about that particular f- platform leads people to write really long posts. Uh, so, so I click on it and I start reading it as if it's a blog post. And then after a little bit, I realize, oh, it's going to take me like 40 minutes <laughs> to finish reading this article. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know, maybe Substack isn't really a blogging platform because we, we tend to think of blogging as sort of being, uh, you know, more long form than tweet length thoughts, but not necessarily these epic long essays that take an hour to read and have, you know, 5,000 words or whatever. Uh, so I don't know, maybe Substack's its own medium, but anyway, like, the question is, where do you put stuff that you write online? Do you put it on Substack? Do you put it on WordPress of all places? Uh, second look at Medium, because <laughs> now Medium is all like excited about the Fediverse and has set up their own Mastodon instance now, which is like a whole thing and just kind of wild to me. Uh, uh, do we all start our own blogs on, on our own self-hosted platforms, static site generators, Hey, I work on Bridgetown. It's a Ruby-based static site generator. You can create a blog with that. Just saying. <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting question, right? Like so many people all of a sudden seem to be trying to figure it out. You know, where, where, how, when, why, who, <laughs> uh, what they're doing to uh, to get blogging, and it's exciting. It's really exciting to see uh, kind of an old school web 1.0 slash early web 2.0 sort of vibe all of a sudden come back to the forefront and it makes me think maybe just maybe the universe is finally healing or maybe it's just for us nerds who are on mastodon uh it's hard to tell if this is sort of the start of a of a mass movement of people uh, rethinking how they want to contribute content online. Uh, but I'm, I'm very excited. I, for one, love to see the word blog all of a sudden on everyone's lips, it seems. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Mastodon is even though Mastodon feels a lot like a Twitter type of product, you know, some people have superficially looked at it and think it's a Twitter clone. Um, one thing that I don't see much of at all on Mastodon is the equivalent of a tweet storm. Like, we don't see toot storms very often. Oh, people do them, sure. Like, you'll you'll find threads where there's, you know, several posts all kind of linked together, you know, one replying to the other, and you kind of read through them. But uh, but toot storms are few and far between. It's, it's not like the sort of uh, cultural edifice that the tweet storm became. Uh, and I'm glad. Like, <laughs> the, the, the reason people would do tweet storms is because engagement would be high. They would be rewarded by the algorithm for, you know, a bunch of tweets all linked together that are, you know, very sort of 
antagonistic and ranty and like a bunch of hot takes on things. Uh, it was, you know, it's very good for the algorithm. Uh, I, I myself contributed to that mess, uh, I hate to admit, because, uh, you know, it worked. Like, you could be a relative nobody and, you know, just all of a sudden mash out this epic tweet storm about some controversial topic and like boom all of a sudden you're getting you know hundreds of likes retweets comments people hating your guts <laughs> maybe a few people even liking you who knows but uh yeah mastodon's really a different vibe like you know i i've noticed that i can post something you know a hundred percent relevant to my personal brand or something like that and i'll get you know some decent engagement and that's cool and then I'll just, you know, post a random photo of whatever. And I'll also get some engagement. And then I'll post a joke about whatever. And I'll get some engagement. And I post, you know, I don't know, thoughts on some topic that has nothing to do with what I normally talk about. And I'll get some engagement, right? Because <laughs> engagement there is so much about either who's directly following you or the hashtags you use, because, you know, depending on which hashtags you use, you can get discovered by different audiences. Um, or, you know, you post something that just happens to resonate with one of your followers, and they just happen to decide to boost that, and then their followers see it, and it, you know, it goes, you know, not necessarily viral per se, but, you know, it starts to propagate out there. Um, and that's just so different than the Twitter of the last few years, like, you know, at the height of my uh, Twitter uh, fame, if you will, <laughs> with my tw 2,500 followers, <laughs> uh, I, no, I, I don't want to disparage that at all. I actually was, was really proud that I, you know, very deliberately and organically was able to, you know, get up to that number. And, you know, I really took that seriously and was, you know, excited to, you know, have gotten to that point, but I I would have, you know, supposedly 2,500-ish followers, and I'd post something, you know, about Tailwind CSS or whatever, and get a ton of engagement, and I'd post like, oh, I had so much fun visiting this new cafe in Portland yesterday, crickets, you know, or I'd post, you know, oh, wow, like this uh, episode of whatever TV show is just amazing, crickets right because it's 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 not feeding the algorithm in the way that the algorithm wants to be fed and you know you have the same issues sometimes with youtube where you know people run youtube channels and they get really really massive around a very specific topic and as soon as they want to do a video about a, a different topic it just gets crushed and and you know that can be pretty frustrating if you're the type of creator that likes to talk about a lot of different things and kind of experiment and try new stuff, as I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Mastodon is a totally different animal because there's no algorithm and uh, discovery is generally either through boosts or uh, hashtags. And the whole hashtag phenomenon is pretty new. And it's kind of why Mastodon is a lot better now as a product than it was a few years ago when I first tried it out. Um, uh, back in, uh, what was it, like 2018, 2019, when I was getting pretty into Mastodon for a little while there, um, discovery was really hard. And you know you couldn't follow hashtags easily. 
so, you know, even if you used a bunch, it didn't necessarily mean that anyone would know about it. Uh, so it was, it was just hard to kind of surface content you're interested in. But now it's amazing. Like, I can just follow a bunch of hashtags I'm interested in, and I'm getting a ton of great content from people I don't follow, as well as great content from people I do follow. And I can easily organize people that I follow into different lists and, you know, read stuff from those lists. And the the quality of um, Mastodon apps now generally is getting to the point where you can have several different accounts and you can boost you know, from a different account than you're using, right? So like, like I have my own account, Jared White at IndieWeb.Social, um, but I also have an account for the Spicy Web, which is a blog about, uh, you know, vanilla web technologies, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and I only follow a few accounts from the Spicy Web account, which is vanilla at social.spicyweb.dev, um, but it doesn't really matter because like when I'm browsing my own account, my own Jared White account using the Ivory iOS app, which is currently in beta, um, you know, if I find something cool that somebody's written about a web thing and I want to boost that from the spicy web account, uh, I can just do that super easily. So, um, yeah, so Mastodon as a, as a technology, as a platform, as a, as a space where a bunch of different apps can all kind of interact with each other now. Uh, it's just gotten so much better and it's really exciting because it feels like finally we have a, a, a thing that, you know, while it's not like a hundred percent a clone of Twitter by any means, it's close enough that we can get what we need. At least that's the way I feel. I can get what I need out of social media without having to be on Twitter. And that's really exciting because, um, you know, as someone who really deeply cares about blogging, I feel like Mastodon is much more friendly to, you know, talking about something I've posted on a blog and linking to it. And people actually engage with that content. People actually click the links and read stuff and then reply on Mastodon. Like... <laughs> <laughs> what a novel concept, right? I'd got I'd gotten kind of used to the idea that on Twitter, like virtually no blog post links you ever post go anywhere. Like you just have to like put the content you want to share directly on Twitter. And maybe at the end of a tweet storm, you can say like, for more on this, you know, read here. But like for the most part, uh, you know, Twitter, like so many of these corporate platforms, right? Like they don't really want you to leave. They don't want you to go off to some other site. They want to keep you there. You know, the, the goal of Twitter in its worst form is to keep you on Twitter, doom scrolling through Twitter and looking at the ads that are on Twitter. Same with Facebook. Facebook wants you to stay on Facebook, clicking on ads on Facebook. YouTube wants you to stay on YouTube, watching YouTube ads. Uh, same with TikTok, same with all of these things, right? Mastodon doesn't care. Like, <laughs> there's no Mr. Mastodon that's like, I'm trying to keep you on this platform because I want to make money. Like, it doesn't work that way at all. Like, I can use Mastodon for five hours today and not even touch it tomorrow, and literally nobody cares. There's, there's no problem with that. There's no market issue. There's no you know, corporation that's you know, looking at numbers and freaking out, like, it just doesn't matter. Uh, and man, that's refreshing, right? Like, 
because <laughs> like your blog doesn't care if you posted on it today or not. Like, you know, I, I'm not getting a message from my blog saying, hey, Jared, <laughs> we've missed you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so so I feel like, you know, whether you're talking about writing a blog post, whether you're talking about writing an email newsletter, whether you're talking about smaller posts on Mastodon or whatever, like all of the ways that we write and publish online, we really should be cheering on and be like super champions of platforms that that don't penalize us for not engaging for a period of time, that don't penalize us for jumping through different topics, that don't penalize us from, um, you know, wanting to have more control over our own home for content online, right? Like, we should be using platforms that uh, that reward uh, people having control over what they publish, when they publish, how they publish, how they want to distribute their publishing, right? Like, Mastodon doesn't care if you want to also use RSS news feeds. It's perfectly fine. In fact, every Mastodon account publishes its own RSS news feed, right? So, like, if you want to follow somebody and not even use Mastodon, you could just subscribe to their RSS feed. Like, don't even create a Mastodon account. Just read RSS, right? Like, this is what we want. This is the web that we want. We want platforms that are open. We want protocols that are open. We want to be able to set up our own sites on our own domains. We want to be able to use tools that, even if we sometimes end up paying for them, uh, we want the tools to be working for us. We don't want to be working for our tools. And so uh, this is why I'm so excited about the web in 2023, because it feels like everything I first fell in love with when it comes to the web and publishing on the web is back. It's all coming back. Blogging is coming back. Email is, well, email. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, RSS is coming back. Uh, short form, microblogging, whatever you want to call it, uh, on, on you know, sort of open platforms that aren't uh, incentivized to take a hold of your eyeballs and squeeze every last drop of energy out of you in the pursuit of money. Like, <laughs> like everything is better now. Uh, the only problem, of course, is that the everything is better now is only applying to a tiny percentage of the larger, you know, population of the world, right? Like, a lot of this stuff is not yet truly mainstream. There's perhaps a little bit of a difference of opinion around, like, what if we don't want it to be mainstream, right? Like, <laughs> what if this new sort of revitalization and, and revival of, of web 1.0 slash early 2.0 nerd culture, you know, being able to get back to what we know and love. Like, what if, what if this is it? Like, what if, what if this culture is not like super mainstream and never becomes super mainstream? What if the Fediverse continues to be successful, but not necessarily large. Like, what? how do we feel about that? Some, some people are saying it's fine. Like, some people are saying like, hey, I'm already getting whatever I want to get out of Mastodon. I'm already getting whatever I want to get out of blogging. It's fine. If this whole thing doesn't grow exponentially, you know, if, if we end up with 10, 15, 20, 30 million accounts, 
you know, rather than 300 million or 1 billion or whatever, like, it's fine. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I, I do think we need to grow more. If, if for no other reason, then we need more diversity, right? Like, like there are a lot of people in the Fediverse now, but there's a lot of white dudes in the West, right? <laughs> Western white dudes, you know, and it's like, come on, we, we don't need yet another arena of society to be dominated by uh, Western white dudes, right? Like, we need people of all colors, all genders, all creeds, all countries, you know, we need a really, really diverse population of people with different perspectives and different experiences in order to have a truly healthy global community. So, uh, you know, perhaps what I'll say here is I don't necessarily want the Fediverse or the blogosphere to grow just for the sake of growing, but I want to grow in a healthy way. I want to grow in a in a truly beneficial way for all parties involved. I don't want it to uh, kind of just be the domain of the people that have been in in charge, in power, whatever, for so long and whatever that looks like. So more diversity, more diversity. All right, folks. So <laughs> not sure if I have any particularly actionable takeaways from all this, but I'm just sharing you my my candid thoughts around uh, this interesting moment that we find ourselves in where people are starting blogs again. People are getting back into RSS. Mastodon is growing. Everyone's talking about where the Fediverse can go next and how the protocols can get better and the apps can get better. And personally, like just being able to use the Ivory beta uh, for iPhone uh, in the past uh, week or two has been uh, pretty, pretty awesome because that's a freaking great app. And it sounds like um, with all the craziness around Twitter effectively killing Tweetbot, uh, the creators of Ivory who, you know, were working on Tweetbot previously, uh, they're they're like on, <laughs> they're like full steam ahead to get Ivory out into, uh, you know, the, the public at large's hands. And I think that's going to be a game changer because a lot of people have iPhones and a lot of people might take a look at Ivory and go like, oh, wow, this app is fantastic. And in a sense, think of themselves maybe less Mastodon users and more Ivory users. Like Ivory is the reason they're there. Uh, that's how good it is. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in once again to Fresh Fusion. As always, you can follow me at uh, jaredwhite.com and on Mastodon at jaredwhite at indieweb.social. And you can also uh, find previous episodes of this podcast at jaredwhite.com slash podcast. Thanks once again for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.